Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Middle Earth Mixer. I'm your host, Evan Cooney, and today we are going to be talking about the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power finale. And joining me today is my lovely wife, Miss Lauren Cooney. Welcome to the show, babe. Hello, thanks for having me. It is an absolute pleasure. And thank you so much for joining me on this uh, enjoyable and sometimes frustrating journey over the past couple weeks. <laughs> Less what, frustrating for me. I'll, I'll let I'm you, a fan. <laughs> I'll, let you, uh, I'll let you start off. What's, uh, how did you feel about this episode? I liked the finale a lot. There's obviously points to the plot that really got moving. I feel like it set up season two well. So yeah, I liked it a lot. What about you? I think that this episode was better. I think that the journey here, I didn't like a lot of the decisions that were made to get here, but I I did really like the reveal, which we'll talk about. I like the dialogue there. Uh, before before I give too much, let's just let's just kick it off. So we we open the episode opens and we see the stranger kind yes. of wandering around in the woods. Yes, and the priestess ends up handing him back the apple that he had dropped. So you have the, the three priestess ladies and him together in the woods. Yeah, and the priestess lady is like she shapeshifts or disguises herself as as Nori. Mm-hmm. And so we see like more of this kind of shapeshifting stuff going on, which I like to see. I would like to see Sauron's character do it. The opening shot was the stranger's eye. So at this point, we're still looking at the stranger and wondering who this person is and who the priestess people, they obviously think that he is Sauron. Right. So there's still some questions and misdirects going at that point, uh, the opening shot. Yeah. So as I predicted last episode, they were clearly looking for Sauron. Their goal was to find him. Um, at first, when I saw the show, I thought that they were just looking for the stranger because they maybe wanted to get rid of him or saw him as an adversary or whatever. Oh, one of the things that was interesting, though, is... That these three characters, one of them addresses him initially in Quenya, which I thought was interesting because my first impression was that these were just cultists from the East. So we know that there was a lot of cults in the East that worshipped Sauron and Morgoth, and I figured that this was just an offshoot of one of those that was waiting for another powerful evil being to return. Uh, But there wouldn't be any reason for men of the far east of Rune to be speaking in Quenya, which is the language of Amon. So I thought that was interesting. And it made me think, like, are these some lesser, like some fallen Maiar of lesser power, maybe? I'm not sure. And then that was it. And then we moved to Eregion where we get that beautiful opening shot of Galadriel on the horse. You like those. You like watching Galadriel ride <laughs> yes, the horse. Yes, <laughs> I do. I'm a horse girl. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. Yes, yeah, so we switch scenes, and you have sick Halbrand there for elvish medicine, and this is when Elrond and Galadriel reunite for the first time. For the first time. time, yeah. I thought that scene was funny because, like, you have Galadriel riding up... <laughs> And it's this serious shot of Galadriel that looks good. And then if you look in the background, like Halbrand's like, <laughs> Halbrand's like falling forward on the horse. And it kind of like, I get it. He's quote unquote sick. But I, I thought it took away from the seriousness of the scene. But anyway, it jumps. Enemy Lance, specifically, well, so, six days ago. Well, it, it jumps from there to before Galadriel and Halbrand get to the gate. And Elrond and Celebrimbor are standing there having a conversation about the Mithril. Oh, that was before. Okay. Yeah. And And the less is more conversation. 
yes, we need to we need to be able to figure out how to do more with less. And they're talking about using the mithril to harness the power that's supposedly going to stave off this decay of the land. And Galadriel has an interesting conversation with Elrond. How does that go? Also, you didn't note that it was the six days, which is accurate. Oh, yeah, Of the distance that it would have taken six (laughs) days without rest. Just a quick note on that. And I was right about that. Yes. That was my last podcast. I said that they had to have been there in six days or more because that is double the distance of what Gandalf says, three days as the Nazgul flies. Uh, Because if you remember, they're going from Athelion to Eregion, which is, like I said, about double the distance of Rohan to, or at least where Gandalf was in Rohan to Minas Tirith. Yes, so they rode for six days without rest. They're there. Elrond sees her and is like, how are you here? How did you meet this person? She says, I met him on the sea after I jumped off the boat because I realized, you know, I had a task to complete. I was not yet worthy to go to the Undying Lands. Which again, so wrong. Um, yeah, and that she could have drowned in that water, but she had an urgency to swim and to just keep swimming and not give up on her task. Yeah, and corny. What do we do now? Swim. That part was corny, but the theme of her swimming and staying on task is that dialogue I think is meant to foreshadow what happens later in the episode where she has the big reveal and discussion with Sauron and she ends up drowning or or she ends up being underwater as if she was drowning. The opposite of staying on task and swimming. So just a parallel there, I think is what they were trying to emphasize, but it came off kind of cringy the way that they wrote it. That's good. And um, and then what happens next? So we're, we find ourselves, uh, Celebrimbor is alone, and he seems to be like cleaning up his shop. He's, we definitely get this hint of despair. In the gorgeous tower yeah, that he has tower. built. And somebody approaches from the steps, and he says, who's there? Reveal yourself. And it's none other than Halbrand. A healed Halbrand. Yeah, a healed Halbrand. He is coming in with all the compliments and flattery. Oh, he's laying it down. Very Anatar-esque, because we know Anatar does this, right? He's great at deceiving. He's great at flattery. He's great at finding whatever the exact right thing is to say to that particular what person. What makes you tick. Yeah, what makes you tick, exactly. We know what makes Celebrimbor tick is Celebrimbor, who is, for those of you who don't know, he is the grandson of Feanor the one who crafted the Silmarils. Now, Feanor is essentially the greatest, most powerful elf who ever lived. So Celebrimbor has a feeling of insecurity. He has a feeling of big shoes that he has to fill in. And Sauron knows this about him. And he's going to use it to kind of prick. First, he's going to flatter him. And then he's going to offer him some way to at least be on the same page as Feanor in the history books. He knows exactly who he is, but... He pretends to be shocked that he is speaking with this great architect. The Calibrimbor. Yeah, and then they have a discussion about the In exchange, metal. he asks yeah. him, you know, were you a smith? And mm, he yeah. says, um, of a different artistry. He also mentions his master, yes. which we know who his master is. And I also think it's an interesting parallel because in a way, Halbrand here is subtly mastering uh, Celebrimbor and you know he's also at the same time acknowledging his own master. Yes yes that's a good point that is good dialogue there. Now we know that this is something in the books this happened over a very long period of time but they're trying to condense all of these 
all of this development and these conversations into a very short period of time. What they say in the actual episode, 300 years in yes, three weeks. Yes, later, later in the episode, there's like a quick, it's, you're, you're actually hearing an eavesdrop because the scene is given from Galadriel's perspective. Elrond walks by and says something along the lines of, we're trying to do in three weeks what would take 300 years. Was I that mean, Elrond or Celebrimbor? It, it might have been Celebrimbor. I'm really no. bad with the names. I'm sorry <laughs> if I messed all Oh, you're good. They all sound so similar to me. <laughs> yeah, he says something like that. Like, uh, it's going to take... I thought it was Calibre Board, but... Three weeks to, to do work that would take 300 years. And for those of you who don't know, that's how long it takes in the book for Sauron to ingratiate himself into the society of Austin Ethel. And then he... So he, so they're talking about the Mithril. And he was saying how there isn't enough and they won't be able to combine other metals with it because Halbrand suggests that maybe you could... That that would dilute the power... Well, Halbrand suggests that you could amplify it with putting another metal yes. in there. Yeah, Kelly and then Kelly Brimbor says, well, we would need something. But that's not how it works. That's not how this works. And then Halbrand says, well, there are metals that can amplify the qualities of things. You just need to do it right. And then Kelly Brimbor says, oh, well, thank you. Like, thanks for that tip. And then Halbrand says what? Call it a gift. Right, call it a gift. <laughs> And when he said that in the episode when I first watched it, it was literally the Leo meme. I was like, oh, okay. That's, yeah, that's when you know. Yeah, for here sure. it is. The lore behind that, though, of course, is Anatar literally just means Lord of Gifts. So that's Sauron's name in his beautiful form. In this show, it's Halbrand, but whatever. I guess they don't have the rights. And then we jump to Numenor and we see that Tar Palantir, the real king, is on his deathbed. He hasn't died yet, but he is very sick and he's on his way out. And Farazan is standing over him and he's kind of giving this speech to the collection of engineers that he's brought together. And he's telling them that they're going to build him a statue in his image that will immortalize him through the ages to come in a way that not even not even a king can attain in life because again men are immortal and they have to die and i really liked this scene because finally like i said before one of my complaints about this show has been they haven't touched on the anxieties in numenor about mortality about them having to die and the elves get to stay so finally we get this dialogue that shows that farazan is at least dwelling spending a lot of mental energy thinking about death which i I really liked. How about you? Did you like that? Yes, it reflects his internal desire to live on, to not be forgotten, to have a legacy that remains. Um, and he's projecting that on the king yeah. right there right. and saying, we have to find a way to make sure that he is immortalized through a, basically a big s- sculpture. And so you have Elendil's daughter there and they're all basically taking portraits. And so she is in the bedchamber, like drawing him. And what's she the key? She goes to Tar Palantir. She goes to wipe some spittle. <laughs> what? She goes to wipe some like spit that's like really? leaking out of his. Yeah. I didn't yeah, remember it's, that part. It's gross. Ew. They no, like I zoom didn't up remember. and there's like some spit hanging out of his mouth. And he thinks that she is his daughter, Muriel. Yeah. So he's like, I see what you've done in the dark. What do you think I'm not? Yes. He gives Muriel a warning that the old ways must be restored or the island will fall. And 
she's like, I'm not your daughter. Let me get your maid. He just keeps talking. He actually gets out of bed and she's like, what, what, what's happening now? Where is he going? She follows him and he shows her, what's it? The orb. <laughs> That's well, what he, I call he it. He unlocks the door yes. to the upstairs. Cause, uh, she, but he says, I've looked on this so much that I can't even distinguish uh, fantasy from reality. Yeah. He's saying this, he is acknowledging the actual reason that he has lost his mind over yes. the years. And that is that he spent too much time looking into this. Yes, uh, the, the Palantir. And what I really liked about this, so that I kind of liked it and I kind of didn't like it. I didn't like it because Tar Palantir doesn't lose his mind. He stays faithful his whole life. You know, he doesn't die like uh, as a dementia riddled person in the end. But I kind of do like this scene as well because it's a callback to Denethor, what we see happen to Denethor in The Lord of the Rings. Denethor spends so much time looking into the Palantir in Minas Tirith that he goes crazy. That's why he tries to kill himself. That's why he is so full of despair because he spends the majority of his time seeing, basically being shown visions of destruction by Sauron, who is on the other end of his own Palantir. So I kind of like that. There's like kind of a bridge there. But yeah, anyway, and then I think he like, he like collapses into a chair, right? Yes, but she... It, she goes up the stairs. Well, this is re the, the reveal is that she actually gets access to this powerful object. And you can assume that maybe she touches it and actually sees something that she's not supposed to see. So I am curious to see where this goes in season two, how this plays out, what knowledge does this character get, and how does it come into play? Right. How, how do, you know, okay, people are going to hate me for saying this, but if anyone watch is also watching the, um, what's it, the Dragons show? House of the Dragons. <laughs> House yeah. of the yeah. Dragons, I can't even <laughs> think of the name. A king who is dying on his deathbed, gives a final yeah. moment of no, 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 clarity yeah. where he tells the message, the right message to the wrong messenger. Mm -hmm. And that creates an entire like calamity of misunderstanding and Funny how that happens literally on the same week. Yeah, so that's just exactly what it reminded me of, of the king is thinking he's saying this to a family member who, you know, which... You know, already I think she already knows. He's re he's giving you know this deathbed warning, and instead actually gives information to someone who we assume you know doesn't need it, and maybe it, it ends up in the wrong hands. Um, yeah. And so I think that that's something to watch in season two. Yeah, and you know a nice little other thing that we nice little Easter egg that we get in that scene. So when Aarian comes up the stairs. Uh, after Tar Palantir lets her in and unlocks the door. She notices the Palantir, but not before taking a good hard look at what is it? Ryan Gosling's helmet sitting on a stand. Just kidding. It's Torin Torinbar's helmet sitting sitting there on the thing. For those of you who are familiar with the Children of Horin, <laughs> uh, that particular helmet is called the Dragon Helm of Dorloman, and that is a major part of the Children of Horin story. If you follow me on Twitter, you know I make jokes about Ryan Gosling playing him in a movie. But so yeah, I really like that because I love those moments. I know people like complain about them being cheap. Like it's just, it's just the writers throwing a bone to the big lore people. But I like that because I think it grounds you into the universe that you're watching when you see stuff like that. You're like, oh, that's a callback. You know, all of this still exists in the same world. So I really appreciated that. And then uh, the next scene, they go over to... Linden? Yeah. Uh, no, they're in... Uh... 
They're in Austin Ethel. I can't. It was keep, a good guess. I can't keep the elf city, city straight. No, okay. it's okay. It, it's it was a good guess though. But yeah, they're in uh they're in um, Austin Ethel. They're and, appealing to the king, the yes, high king, yes. to basically get his stamp of approval to forge the object of power. Yeah, but they're saying they're saying like that it needs to be circular. Yeah, it needs to be circular. Maybe a crown. Yeah. And the power would be unbounded. Mm-hmm. And so the it high reflects ki- back on itself. Yeah, the High King's initial reaction is that this is a perilous idea. These and are perilous whisperings. That actor cracks me up. <laughs> yeah, I say he looks like James Comey. Yeah, James Comey. <laughs> <laughs> and like James Comey, he goes back and forth on what to do. That's yes. <laughs> The political people are going to love that one. Um, yeah. He and says he, no, then he says, oh, maybe. Okay, fine. Yeah. And <laughs> hope. <laughs> oh, but one interesting shot that we get in this scene is the chain wrapped around. Um, it's So it zooms out and the camera view is looking down on this meeting from the ceiling. And we see a shadow of a chain that looks like it's linked around Celebrimbor's foot. Yes. Yeah, so as he is giving this pitch. Yes. You can you can kind of see who is he the mouthpiece of yes. in that moment. Who is really controlling the situation? And there's more than one meaning to that, right? Because we know that Celebrimbor was under the complete influence of Sauron. Sauron was able to trick him and appeal to him. And also we know that a chain is appropriate because Celebrimbor gets captured and Sauron tortures him uh, for the location of the Rings of Power in the books. And he ultimately ends up being, he gets killed in a really brutal way, but not after being tortured in chains first. So I thought that that was really interesting. And as he is actually talking to the High King, the High King's, you know, he mentions Halbrand and he's like, the Low King? Yeah, the Low King. You got this information, you got this suggestion from the Low King and that is when he, uh, Celebrimbor says back that the Low King, Halbrand's suggestions were the key that unlocked the dam. Yeah, and I'll give you credit for this one because I didn't even notice that bit of dialogue the first time I watched it. That's like a direct reference to the sword opening up the dam in Mordor. Episode six. Yeah, I didn't even see that. It was a, it was a nice little spot on your part. That's why I like to bring you along for these things. <laughs> Thanks. It was an easy one, actually. I, oh, okay. Um, but yeah, I just didn't, I didn't notice that. So unlocking the dam, obviously, that unleashed, you know, Mount Doom. Un- this is the key that unlocks the evil rings. Yeah. You know. And then... Uh, so he says, not of flesh, but over right, flesh. Right, right. I'm skipping parts here. Yeah, he says, not of the flesh, but over flesh. The, he repeats back the line, and then Galadriel says, where where did you hear that? His hop was... The unseen world. yes. Yeah, well, we're tapping into a power of the unseen world. And that's the exact same thing that Adar said two episodes ago. So Galadriel is looking at Celebrimbor as he's saying this and getting more suspicious because these words do not sound right to her. They sound influenced by something darker. Yes. So clearly we know like Halbran was saying that to him. And so the High King ultimately is like, no, this is a bad idea. Disband the city. Yeah. Um, but one of the things one of the things he did say though is he was talking about the tree. He goes back to the tree and he goes, ever since the eruption, the tree is literally bleeding leaves. Everything he says is so dramatic. But I want to touch on that again because the, the tree. So what this tree is supposed to represent in Linden, right? I guess 
I'm getting this from the showrunners, because there isn't such thing as like this one tree that's supposed to represent the fading light of the elves. But I think that's what they're trying. They're trying to have this tree be a stand-in for what is the light of the Eldar fading. And I'm not a big fan of this choice, but whatever, we're here, so we got to deal with it. And then we move on. And then we get the private scene between Galadriel and Celebrimbor, where she's like, where did you hear that? Was Halbrand with you? And he says, what does it matter? It's all over anyway. And then the next scene, we have Gil-Galad flip-flopping, and Elrond convinces him, right? You remember that scene? Yes, he brings back the hope line, his previous counsel. Um, he throws his words back at him. Yeah, from the Elrond first episode. Elrond throws his words back at him and says, basically, just this is our last hope, and, you know, hope isn't lost, so we have to go with this hope. So the High King says, okay, go ahead. And they immediately start working on forging the rings with Halrin. And that is when you, Galadriel decides to order a fact check. Yeah, yeah, on, she goes to that dude and, and is like, can you get me some history Yes, and he says, oh, well, I will have to go to the catacombs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what, another thing I didn't like was when he said, our histories on the mortal realms are limited. I didn't like that because I feel I don't feel like they should be. I think the elves have a pretty good grasp on the world around them. I, I would have preferred him to say something like, uh, our histories on the peoples of the south are limited. You know, because the elves know plenty about you know, mortal realms. They know about Numenor. They have plenty written about Numenor. So, but anyway. And that is when you got the little line of three weeks. We're doing this in three weeks. Yes. Something that would take three centuries. Yes, exactly. And then Halbrand and Galadriel actually have an interaction at this point. Yes. So she orders a fact check. <clears throat> she orders the fact check. The guy walks away and Halbrand comes up to her right there and they have a little exchange um, where he says, I can't believe that someone like me is here. Um, yeah, he has this exchange with her and it's... And he, t- he thanks her for saving his life. Yeah, yeah. And he thanks her for believing in him. And he says, you took me to heights that I, I had never been and I won't forget that and I won't let anyone else forget that. Yeah. And at this point, it almost sounds like it's either I'm either thanking you, but I, it's almost like a intimidating yeah. and borderline threatening. It's almost like he's starting to hold over her head that I'm here because of you. Yeah. And I, I believe that Sauron already knows at this point that she's onto him, that she's telling somebody to go look through the catacombs. Because I don't think he would have said that if he really wasn't aware that his cover was about to be blown. And then we switch scenes to back with the stranger and the priestess evil ladies and they're talking to him about his powers yeah and they're they're showing him the uh the hermit's hat and this star that he's been seeing and they say that it's a star of the east a star of rune and you need to come back to rune with us where you can rule where everybody will worship you yes she says we're welcoming you into our land rune which tells you exactly where they're coming from yes Which is another reason why I would be like, okay, why are they speaking Quenya then if they're from Rune? I don't know because I don't know everything you know, but I would think if they are basic, what are they called? Fallen. The Fallen Maiar. If they are Fallen Maiar, they could be simply hanging out with the men in the East 
and where right. there they are could just be there there are cults. sauron and morgoth worshiping cults and yeah. that's their area that they are living yes and that's true and we do know that there are there are lesser maiar that can pose as just normal regular beings so that's not a crazy idea i certainly at this point don't really feel like they're just regular humans because Again, regular humans of the East would have no reason to be speaking Quenya. They're at least corrupted in some way by dark right. uh, magic exactly. or dark power. Yeah. And, um, you know, they're talking to him about his power. They say to him, I thought this dialogue was good. They say that fire obeys your will, um, that you are above all the elements, dust, wind, you know, that the, his power is all reaching and that all creatures that move will be his slaves, Lord Sauron. So the dialogue is explaining Sauron's power from their perspective. Right. And that it is great and that all things in Middle-earth or all things are to be his slaves. Right. And then they decide to bind him. They say bind him. Right, yeah, because he starts... So it's in this moment where he is trying to follow what they're saying. He's beginning to be like, okay, yeah, I do have some power. And yeah, he starts the wind, standing up. I, yeah. I can move the wind. Yeah, he's like, okay, I can, I can do these things. And he starts doing them and it's getting out of control. And then the one lady who isn't bald freaks out and, you know, and tells them to knock him out, you know, put him to sleep. And he yeah, He can't control out. his powers yet. Yeah, he's not at that point yet where he fully knows what... Oh, one thing that they did say to him... And this was this was kind of something that I don't like about the stranger is something that they're they're saying that he has a veil and they imply that this veil, this kind of mental veil is something that beings that are supernatural have when they get placed in the physical world. There's like a veil that they have to punch through to kind of remember where they came from. And I kind of don't like that because, and, and clearly the stranger is suffering from this in some sense, because he got there in the beginning and he didn't even really know who he was. You know, the Istari know exactly why they are in Middle-earth. They know that what they're there for. They know that they have a mission. So I kind of don't like the fact that they basically have amnesia when they get there. It's like, a choice that the show is making. But yeah, they discuss that. They discuss well, this veil. I also think that the the veil, like a theme of this episode is just the seen world and the unseen world and how they cross over. Right. And I think that is something that the stranger is supposed to represent. Uh, maybe some of his confusion is, you know, the veil like you're talking about. And then when they're forging the rings, there's mention of the seen and the unseen world merging and power coming from bringing those two things together. Yeah, and I think that that's a good point. I think that that's a theme that they're touching on. I just would prefer to see members of the Istari who are showing up and they know exactly why that they are there. And then, so the hobbits, or sorry, the Harfoots get the drop on them, right? They come up and the one of the priestess ladies hears them. So what they do is they come up with this trap for the Harfoots and they trick the Harfoots into thinking that, again, the bald lady shapeshifts into the stranger and then they tie her up and then the other two walk away and the Harfoots go to save her and then she shapeshifts back into bald lady and then they go to kill them and that's when our boy comes up. 
and he starts making trouble for them. And he starts um, attacking them with his powers. And they have like a nice little, very much reminiscent of the wizard duel, you know, from the Peter Jackson movies in Fellowship of the Ring, when Gandalf and Saruman are kind of throwing each other back and forth with their staves. And then we have like a little chase scene where the stranger is fighting Bald Lady, and then the other two priestess ladies are chasing after the Harfoots. Well, Nori talks to the stranger in yes. the middle of all the action. Yes, in the middle of all the action, Nori he gets is very down confused. Yeah, he's coming he, out of this sleep. Yeah, this daze. And Nori goes up and she says, uh, or he says, get away. I don't want to hurt you again. They told me who I am. And she goes, no, you decide what you are by what you do, which I appreciate that because those are good themes. That and she I says, and you're here that. to help. Yeah, you're here to help. And then... <laughs> He, fire yeah. does obey his yeah. will. The camera pans out and we go back to the bald lady who is just blasting like flames. She turns into a flamethrower. Yeah, she's just spitting flames at the Harfoots and missing apparently every shot. And then finally in slow motion, she goes to hit him and then the fire goes out. Well, fire obeys his will, which is what they just told him. And it's yes. like, okay, now I'm going to use it on you. Yes, um, which and, I liked. I, I enjoyed that. Yes, and then there's the... The shadow go back to the shadow yeah nori nori gave him the staff you for, you well, yes we we forgot to include that one part nori gives him the staff which i'm getting the hint that like so the astari clearly i mean they use the staff as a way to kind of be like a beacon to conduct their powers with it helps them control them it helps their powers be a little bit more targeted so that's why you know, he grabs the staff and he's able to do that with it. But he stands up and he says, go back to the shadow. He says, from shadow you came. And they say, he's the other. Yeah, yeah. And they Astar. go, yep, yep. I love that line. They were like, he's not Sauron. He's the other, the Istar. Which is interesting because there should be two blue wizards at this time. So I'm not sure what they mean by the other. Like, which one of the Istari are they referring to when they say the other? Maybe just that he's the other version of what we used to be. Could, yeah. Or what we are. Could be that. Could be that. And then they, he, you know, as he casts them back to the shadow, they basically wraith scream. Yeah. And there's these images of them making them look kind of like wraiths and then they turn into yeah. moths. They really do look like the ring wraiths from the Peter Jackson movies when Frodo puts on the ring and he sees the Witch King standing there. They really look like those images. And then they kind of scream in this very wraith-like manner and then evaporate into moths. Which, if you guys remember from Peter Jackson movies, the moth was always related to... Gandalf's power. So again, that's like another Gandalf hint right there. Like he turns them into moths. So could be Gandalf, but I still think he's not. I also don't think it's Gandalf, and I also really hope that it's not Gandalf. I mean, yeah. I don't personally care that much if it is Gandalf, but I would prefer it not. Yeah, we we all would. <laughs> we would all prefer it not. So and then uh, so after we switch scenes, that scene, we go to the ship. Yes, and the journey back to Numenor. Yes. With Muriel and Elendil. And there's actually a little Easter egg. So if you look on the ship, it actually has green flags this time. And green flags was something that the Numenorean ship used to bear on their way back home. It was like a 
good good luck, good tides kind of thing to do on your way back to Numenor. So that's that's something that they did in the books in the return trip. So we have that in there, and I, I liked that reference. Uh, then we go below deck, and Muriel is down there with the thing over her eyes, and she's counting her steps, like trying to get her bearings of the room. Yes, and Elendil um, and her end up having a conversation. Really good conversation. Mm-hmm. Um He's obviously still distraught, thinking that his son is, I guess, been pulverized by the blast. Because you were saying, like, why isn't he looking for him? Yeah, I I assume the only reason that he didn't stay to actually collect his son's body was that they believed that he was just pulverized in the blast. Yeah, I mean, you're certainly like, why, you know, why wouldn't you go back and look for him? Right. Even just to get the body. So... You know, they're both returning from this journey wounded in a very deep way. Um, he believes he's lost his son. She has lost her sight. And, and then, they're standing yeah. there together, um, you know, in that moment. And they, you know, basically encourage each other in a way. But what Elendil says is essentially... But he starts off with some talking about his hurt. Yes, he starts point. talking, saying, you know, basically... I could have left Galadriel there. You know, the steps that I took that have brought us to where we are right now, I didn't have to make that choice. But I I did decide to help her and ultimately go along with her on this mission that has left us here both hurting. And he's saying, I could have chosen not to do that, but I was trying to do what's right. I was trying, he's saying, essentially, I was trying to do what's right. I was trying to do what the faithful would have done. Right, because he says because of his name means more than just lover of stars. Yes, and that's what he's getting at. To where we know Elendil in the Adunaic tongue, which is the language of Numenor, means lover of stars. But in Quenya, it also means elf friend. So he, as we know, he's a member of the faithful, and he's expressing in this moment the cost of everything that he thought that he was doing right earlier in the story. Yes. And I love this scene because he's saying, you know, sometimes and we it's just such a relatable thing when you try to make the right decisions to do what's right, even if it's hard or difficult, and you're doing that with faith, hoping that it brings the outcome, um, the solution, the victory that you're looking for. And instead you are left, um, you know, in the opposite condition. You are weaker than you were before and it doesn't make sense and your faith is shaken by it. And that is what they're getting at. It's like, we are, you know, both of these people were followers of the faithful. They were both part of the faithful, uh, followers of the old way. Um, And Muriel responds in saying that her father told her that those that do, that those that are a part of the faithful um, essentially have to be willing to pay the price no matter the cost. And he responds by saying, you know, we have no choice other than to keep serving. Yes, very much. This dialogue reminded me of the Christian walk and the sacrifices that we have to make. And it's also, again, say what you want about the show, but I think that the themes have been consistently good and have really surprised me. They captured perfectly in this dialogue right here, Tolkien's idea of the you catastrophe, right? It is the good characters in a story. It is their calling to do what they know is right even in the face of insurmountable odds. And you are to take that walk no matter how hard the journey is. And you take it with the faith 
that grace, but grace, right? Grace will come into play and at the last second, sometimes not even at the last second, sometimes it's, you know, at a time when it, sometimes it comes easier, but you trust in that you catastrophe. You trust that there will be an intervention from God that will make it all possible and you'll come out better for it on the other end. And that is a message that is so perfectly encapsulated in this dialogue. So I really liked it. Yes, this is the point where Elendil and Muriel are having to choose trust that their faith in the end will be worth it. Right now, it's literally dark. It's as dark as it's ever been for them. And I also, I mentioned to you, um, I know that in the books, Muriel is not actually blinded. But I think that something that is interesting about this character of her, you know, being blinded um, in battle, I thought that, you know, as a result, yes, she's blinded, but her spiritual senses uh, awaken and that she actually comes out of this experience with more clarity um, than she had before when she was more concerned with uh, dealing with the politics of um, her kingdom and trying to please everyone and instead now she is embracing you know um basically her father's way and choosing to go out on um you know basically with the the calling of what is the right you know mission and how to save Numenor ultimately and I think that her blind she's blind now but her spiritual sense her spiritual sight is now stronger yeah and you bringing that up gave me a new appreciation for that because again it's some it's really easy for somebody like me to be focusing hard on everything that isn't in the books right I'm, I'm looking at that and I'm going what is up with the blindness right where does that come into play that's not in the books and you can get so hung up on all these other things that sometimes you're not looking for some deeper messages that could be there with this independent decision that they're making. So I didn't even think about that. And when you brought that up, that in hopes, in hopes that that's where they're going with it, you know. Well, also, um, I don't, she's not going to keep power. Right. But right. I think where her mind is now is more aligned with where her father was, um, you know, that she was kind of, you know, we're listening to, but only secretly listening to and kind of not openly following the old ways, yes. not openly encouraging. It was in the dark before. Yes, and yeah. now it's in the, you know, going... And she, you could tell she also, you, that she wasn't really fully committed to it before. But she's committed now, Yeah. but unfortunately, it will, she will still, her efforts are going to fail, but because of Farazhan. And yes. so when they return, they're returning... Um, the end of this scene is that they return and there are black flags yes. in Numenor indicating that her father is now gone and Farazhan is lying in wait yes. for them. Farazhan is staring intently at the body of Tar Palantir. And I thought this was a really interesting scene because what I'm seeing here is I feel like ambition is waking up in him at this part. I feel like he's seeing an opportunity right here but i also really do feel like maybe he's feeling real i wouldn't necessarily call it sadness for the king but he's feeling that anxiety like it's bringing to the forefront this this anxiety of of mortality that he will eventually have to face as well you know i think i feel like he's contemplating that while he's staring at the body so it was an interesting scene i liked it now we go back to the forging uh efforts Yep, we're back at the forging efforts and... Lots of chain imagery continues. Yeah, yeah. the chain imagery keeps going and... How Rand is... Oh, um, their machine explodes. 
Yes, there's frustration and Halbrand is continuing to give uh, tips. He says uh, something along the lines Maybe of, we should try a little less hard. Coaxing. Yeah. Coaxing, You must yeah. coax yes. uh, the metals together yeah. instead of trying to force them, which, again, is his a little bit into his strategy is yeah it's good. i would i want to I, he you know wants to tempt people with power he doesn't want to beat them over the head with force he wants to tempt them coax them into it's good an meta dialogue for his right. character because in this moment they're talking about you know metals and alloy but sauron prefers to have people submit like he prefers to conquer without even really having to lift a finger he likes to convince people that's very much his character so the the idea of coaxing is definitely definitely toward his character and at this point now they say they are going to make two yes they have changed yes. they've upped the ante from one to well two. we find this out when galadriel storms out of the room because the the dude from the catacombs comes back with the yes. history book <laughs> The scroll. <laughs> yeah, he comes back with the scroll. And the scroll says... And what does the scroll say? <laughs> the scroll says that the line was broken like a thousand years ago and that the last king of the Southlands had no heir. So Halbrand is not who he says he was right. or who she assumed rather he was. He says, you know, I told you I got that off of a dead man. Yes, he says that to her. And I feel like in this moment, maybe... Hallbrand really knows that the jig is up because he could have maybe just kept lying, right? He could have said, oh, all right, yeah, I, I lied. You know, I, I stole this symbol. But I think he, he knows at this point. He's like, all right, she gets it. She sees what I'm trying to do here. She sees what I'm telling to, you know, Celebrimbor. It's the only thing that makes sense. So he decides to deliver the line. First, he says, I, I took this off a dead man, which I really liked because I remember when he said that, in the in the mm -hmm. beginning of the season, I remember when he said, "I took this off a dead man." I I remember thinking, like, I'm pretty sure that happened. And then he says, "You," uh, she says, "But you saved me on the raft," and he's you like, saved "You saved me." me. Yeah. And then she says, "Well, you left Numenor with me," and he says, "You wanted to do that." Yes. And then she says, "Well, you fought with me in battle," and he was like, "That was our enemy, mm -hmm. Adar." Yes. And then she says, "What's your name?" And then he says. I've been awake since the breaking of the first silence. And, I have had many names. Well, actually, he says, I've been awake since before the breaking of the first silence. And I loved that because for me, that brings the imagery of the Aina Lindele, right? That brings the imagery of the singing of existence. Because before that, think about it, right? It was just silence. The Maiar, the Valar, and Iluvatar were essentially just existing in nothingness. And he gave them song to sing. And this song broke the first silence. And Sauron was there for that. He helped. Sauron helped sing creation into existence. He was there when it was all happening. Yeah, that line was, was that in the books at all? No, it wasn't in the books, but it's very much that was like really sticks great. with the story because Sauron right. helped. He was there when the world was sung into no, existence. No, I know, but I was just saying, was that a quote from yeah, the book? Yeah, no, no. Because it, it was so good. Yeah, but when, yeah. So he says that he was there at the breaking of the first silence. Love that. And then he says, in that time, I have had many names. And of course, we have heard that repeated over the course of this season. He has had many names, cruel and cunning sorcerer. So yeah, he, uh, he pretty much... Gives it up right there. He doesn't even really fight it. No, because he is now going to proposition yes. Galadriel. Yes. And then after that moment, right, she goes to stab him. 
and he immediately, like, without even breaking eye contact with her, just stops it midair. And I liked that a lot because now I'm finally seeing, first of all, what Sauron is capable of because he doesn't even have to, even have to look. And I'm also seeing Galadriel finally for the first time in some kind of compromised position. You know, it's making her character finally a little bit more relatable. She's been wanting to hunt Sauron all this time and here she is faced with him and she's completely weak. Yeah, completely just immobilized. There is nothing that she can do in this moment. Not physically and certainly not psychologically. Yeah, and then he knocks her out. And she where are we? It sees her brother back home mm-hmm. in the Undying Lands. She has a vision of Valinor. She has a vision of Valinor. She is on the ground like she fell again because it kind of looked like Sauron like put her to sleep. And she falls in the real world, but kind of falls into this vision of her in the grass in Valinor, back to where she was in the first episode. When she was a child. Yes, where she was a child. And her brother, Finrod, is calling out to her. And he's saying, it's just a little tumble. Get up. Look at me. Yes. And she says, get out of my mind. Right. Because she is aware this is an illusion yes. um, of Sauron. But as her brother continues calling her, she can't help but turn around to look upon his face. She has not seen in so long. And even though she knows this is Sauron, she can't help but smile looking at him, her brother, who has been her driving um, force of motivation um, for many years. I'm... She has the dagger, you know, his dagger with her still he slowly takes in her it from hand. her as she gets up. Yeah. And he tells her that she has been very brave and she has fought so hard for so long. And bef- before we get into exactly what they talk about there, I want to touch on this. It's something that I really appreciate about this episode is we are getting to see the cruelty and the the sorcery of Sauron here, which is something that is very present in the Silmarillion and that we don't get as much of that side of his character in the Lord of the Rings books. There are many examples in the Silmarillion of Sauron torturing people for fun. Uh, There's one particular story of him showing a vision to one man, um, a vision of that man's dead wife, and he uses it to torture him. So Sauron is very much capable of what we are seeing in this episode right here. And you know, this is this is no different. It is very much a cruel thing to show somebody a dead relative that they would be so emotionally affected by. So uh, I appreciate that aspect of this scene here. It's also crucial to Galadriel's character because her task has been carrying on the mission uh, that her brother left behind. And what he needs to do is he needs to warp her view of that to attempt to persuade her to change course. Right. Because her driving purpose all this time has been to hunt Sauron. So as she says to him, um, she says, you you know, he says to her, her brother, Fimrod, or You've been doing so good. He says to her, you've been so brave. You fought so hard for so long. He says to her, you uh, have been so brave. You fought so hard for so long to complete the task that I could not. And she says... Your task was hunting Sauron. And he says... No, my task was keeping peace. To ensure peace. Yes. He says, and then I realized that was Sauron's task as well. Mm -hmm. And she says... You He's are... trying to deconstruct her views right now. Yes. He, she says back to him, no, you died because of what Sauron did. And other people died too. He says, Sauron was seeking a power... Not to destroy, but to heal Middle-earth. Right. And he says, 
just like what you and the elves are doing now. And I think it's in this moment when Galadriel starts to come out of the illusion again because he says he says you and your fellow elves and in this moment it's like Finrod wouldn't talk like that you know Finrod wouldn't say you and your fellow elves because it's 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 making him the other so it's an odd choice of words if you are an elf to say you and your fellow elves but something in this part stood out to me in that he says you needn't lie to them simply let the work proceed so this was, to me, watching it the second time, a big deal because, you know, she doesn't go back and tell them all, oh, Halbrand is Sauron, he's been helping us with these rings, uh-oh, let's all turn around and, like, let's take a moment. No, she lets the work proceed. Yeah, she lets she the doesn't proceed. blow up his spot. Mm-hmm. And so the power, the manipulation, the cunning, like, this, it's working in this moment, and she actually whether it's full by full will or just by influence of Sauron, she does choose to heed this advice that he gives her in this powerful moment of a vision of her brother. She actually does take that advice. And whether at consciously least, or unconsciously. At least right now, she goes on to let the work proceed of, you know, which is Sauron's agenda in getting those rings forged and not actually, he says, you don't have to lie to them. But basically, just don't tell them the truth of yeah. who I am. And she follows that. And the first time I watched that, I didn't realize that. But it actually cleared up because I was like, why isn't Galadriel immediately telling them all? And she does. She actually follows what Sauron is trying to influence her to do uh, in this particular moment. And that is, let the plan unfold. Yeah. And then he says to her, uh, like, this is when he actually says... He leans in and says, touch the darkness once more. Remember what I told you under this tree. Yes. And then that's when she responds, no, you killed my brother. And he says, oh, why would you say that? Why would you say that? And then she starts to get up and walk away. And she's walking away. He's like, why would you say that? Where are you going? Look at me. Yeah. Which he he keeps saying that to her. Look at me, which is, speaks to the power of Sauron and the eye of Sauron. And and basically, you know, looking into someone's soul, eye contact with them. um, There's a, you know, a lot easier to hypnotize them in a way. I by looking at them. He wants to look deep into your soul. And yeah, you I look, really like the look at me. Him. Isn't there something about... Yes, I really like the look at me dialogue because Tolkien talks a lot about the eye of Sauron and he talks about how horrible it was to look into. So there's, there's a lot of power that Sauron has with his gaze. You know, Tolkien talks about the gaze and there's a lot of verbiage like that in the books. So I appreciate that there, because again, we keep hearing look at me over and over and over again. And I like that that's a repetitive aspect uh, in this scene. And then he screams, look at me. And then he He feels flips. like his grip, he's losing his look, grip right, on her the grip. as she turns away from him. He wants her exactly. to look at him to continue and, um, you know, be able to hold his grip on her. So then the scene switches from being under the tree to them being on the raft. Yes, and we have a culmination here because it started on the raft and it's about to end, at least this portion of the story is about to end on the raft. And there's a lot of great dialogue here. So Halbrand again, and he starts it off with, look at me. He says, look at me, Galadriel. And she turns around, she looks at him. He says, I'm your friend. Yeah, yeah, he says, I'm your friend. And then she says, no, you're a friend of Morgoth. And then we get a really interesting bit of dialogue here where Halbrand says, no. He says that when Morgoth was defeated, 
it was like a clenched fist around my neck was released. And he says, during that first sunrise, the next day after the battle, it was like he could feel the light of the one again. And we know, of course, that the one is Iluvatar. That is a direct reference to Tolkien's monotheistic god. So I appreciate that they're including that in the show once again. And then what happens next? What do they say next? He realized that, you know, maybe he could seek. Once he felt the light of the one again, he wanted forgiveness and thought maybe if I heal what has been um, destroyed. Destroyed, yeah then, you know, maybe there is some redemption for me is what he's alluding to. And she says, no penance could ever be enough for all of the evil that you have brought on the world. And And then he says, but you don't believe that because you didn't say that to me. Yeah, he says, hey, you were the one telling me that our past didn't matter. And it was the future that matters. And he's saying to her, you know, you said we have a purpose together. And he's basically you know, saying, this is it. I see your greatness. Yeah, he says, I see your light. I see your light. And I can give you power. And you can bind me to light. And together, we can heal Middle Earth. Yeah, and then she responds with, you would make me a tyrant. And he goes, I would make you a queen. (laughs) Love it. Love this. I think most people who watch the show, even if you haven't enjoyed the show, a lot of people enjoy yeah. this scene. I, I feel like even if you're somebody who didn't enjoy the show, you can really enjoy the themes that are being put out in this scene right here. And then she says, and what, you would be my king? And then he says, um, oh no, she says, you would be my king, a dark lord. And he says, not dark. And also <laughs> um, she says, are we going to save or rule? Middle Earth. And he says, I see no difference. Yeah, I see no difference. But then they have that really cool shot where the camera kind of turns and the image of them is reflected in the ocean of them both standing together, uh, united in, I mean, Sauron, you can see his dark iron crown for a second. And Galadriel looks like she clearly has some type of other armor on in the reflection. And this is mirroring, obviously, the conversation that she has with Finrod in the beginning of the light that is being reflected from the water. How do I know what source of light is good? How do I know which way is up? Yes, And which way exactly. is down? And the camera literally flips. I mean, yeah. I, I liked great. that tie in there. And then, you know, she she denies him. She says no. And that she goes, that's why I will never join you. When well, he says, he says uh, rule and save, there's no difference. And she says no. And that's she why says I'll that's never... why I'll never, you know, I'll, this is why I could never stand by you. And he says, well, you've been my ally. What well, are... He says, you need me. He says, what are the elves? What is everyone going to think when they find out that you've you've been my ally And I am alive because of you. Yes. He is throwing in her face the fact that they were floating on the ocean together. And I don't really understand how she saved him because they were floating. It's it's unclear. It's still, I don't really get that part, except for that they were floating together and she was able to flag down the ship that saved them. And then she says, you'll die because of me. Yeah. He says, I live because of you. He is holding that over her head. He's essentially shaming her and saying, you have been aligned with me. And when everybody finds out, they're going to question you. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm alive because of you. She says, well, you're going to die because of me. And then at that point, she is underwater, almost like by, almost looks like she has a noose around her neck, Yeah. which 
is kind of interesting because he just said that when Morgoth was defeated, he felt like, uh, you know, that a fist was released from his neck. Now she has, she's not going along with him. And now she is being uh, entangled by the neck underwater, which is, you know, it looks like she's basically drowning, which is again, calling back to the dialogue, dialogue earlier in the episode where she mentions you know when she was on underwater before she made it to the raft she chose to keep swimming instead of drowning um so just tying all of the the water scenes together in the dialogue um and then she is elrond pulls her out of the water yeah and she screams deceiver yeah which i I liked because that's another one of Sauron's names that he's been given. Now, before we move on, I really want to just get into real quick this portrayal of Sauron's motivations here. Are they accurate to the books? So what does he want to do in the show? Clearly in the show, he is making a pitch to Galadriel. And I think that reading it in any way that makes you believe that Sauron actually has any real intention of sharing power with her, I think is completely wrong. I don't think that that's what the the message that the writers were trying to get across at all. I think that this is just another one of, of Sauron's tricks. This is what he does. He pretends like he wants to bring you into the fold when really you're just going to be a slave. Now, what we know about the books is that Sauron saw Galadriel as the most powerful of all of the elves on Middle-earth at this time. He saw her as a bigger adversary than Gilgalad. He saw her as a bigger adversary than Celebrimbor. And this is stuff that Tolkien wrote. You know, it's not something that was made up for the show. Sauron saw her as not his equal, but the closest thing to it in Middle-earth at this time. So he, in the show, is trying to make a plea to her to get her on his side. Now, in the books, Galadriel doesn't fall for it. He comes to Linden in his fair form, and Galadriel and Gilgalad reject him. And then he goes over to Eregion and Celebrimbor because he was being foolish, because he wanted to be as great as his grandfather was. He lets Sauron in. So it's not an accurate depiction to have Galadriel having this much time with Sauron and to be deceived by him. However, I think that the motivations for Sauron here are correct. So you can attack it not being lore accurate with Galadriel, and that's fine. But I do like the themes here, and I think that they are consistent with a Sauron that I know. I don't believe for any second that he's truly repentant with the uh, with what we've been given in the show. I think that it's all a lie. It's just all a pitch to try and flip Galadriel. And I think that that got the message across well. After the after Morgoth's defeat, we know that Sauron feigned repentance. He pretended to repent to Aonwe, and Aonwe told him that he needed to report to Valinor to be judged in the Circle of Doom in the Halls of Mandos, and he refused. He was afraid. He didn't want to go be judged by the Valar, so he fled deep into Middle-earth. And his pitch to the elves was that he could make the land like Valinor. So the whole dialogue about him saying that he can heal the land, I I definitely think that that's consistent with something he would say. So I really like the dialogue here. I think that although it wasn't consistent with the lore, it's consistent with the themes. And that was the thing I was most worried about. I thought that this whole show was going to be a deconstruction of Tolkien's themes. And I think that the themes were right here. And the dialogue was good. So yeah, I just wanted to throw that in there before we moved on. Any thoughts that you have before... Well, also, it was, you know, in the movies of Lord of the Rings, Galadriel mentions, you know, Galadriel is, calls herself like, you know, there's that scene, the Dark Queen scene. That's in the books. So That's it's in the books. established there as well that she 
is also tempted by the power oh, that yeah. Sauron wields. That is a main that's a main point of Galadriel's character. That's her character arc when she finally does say no to the ring because she always wanted to rule her own place with her own power and you know that's So when... I could see how this could have been written in in line with maybe some ambition yes. of her younger self. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a good point. So she, you know, Elrond wakes her up um and says the rings are almost done. Yeah, what are you doing in the water? <laughs> she comes in there soaking wet. And Kellen says the dumbest line. You're as wet as a river rock. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and this is when Galadriel says, We gotta have three. Yeah. Because one corrupts, two divides, three provides balance. Yeah, and this is where it really lost me because <laughs> it just seems like Galadriel didn't learn her lesson at all. It seems like she's kind of, I I guess she thinks because Sauron is gone now that... Well, this is where I'm telling you, like, back in the conversation that she had when she, she was in the illusion. And he says, don't lie. You don't have to lie. You needn't lie to them, but let the work proceed. Right. And this is what she does. Yeah. She goes in there, and it seems like maybe she's going to tell them, oh my gosh, Sauron is here. I just had a whole fight with him out by the water. And her friend, uh, Elrond, is like... What's going on? Where's Halbrand? And she ha instead of telling him, she just says, he's gone. And I don't think he'll be back. And he's like, basically, he's like, well, what's really going on? And yeah. she says, you're just going to need to trust me like I've trusted you in the past. Yeah, and she basically refuses to share information with mm -hmm. him. And so she is going along with letting the work proceed, not telling them what she knows, going along with the rings and even saying, you know, let's... Let's get this done. We need three of them. And they say that they need certain kinds of pure silver and yeah, gold. Yeah, so she needs to give up So they up use her the knife. dagger, and yeah. I know that this isn't lore. No. But <laughs> I think that why, why I don't mind it, I guess, is because the dagger represents Galadriel's mission of killing Sauron. Um, that's been her driving like force. And basically she's choosing to sacrifice, you know, it, it's a character change right now. Like it's a, mission, she's yeah. literally willing to give up this dagger she's been carrying around all this time to make the rings. And so I feel like it's a turning point in the story in the character because my feeling watching this was like, wait, wait, her task was to get rid of Sauron and, you know, that's been the most important thing to her. Now it's not the most important thing to her. Now these rings are kind of yeah. the most important thing. And this is now her new plan. Her, yes. her plan of let me just kill Sauron, that will be the answer, is not the solution anymore. The solution now are the rings. So I feel like... Burning the dagger in the fire is kind of the way that the show is providing you that turning point in her motives. Yeah. And I, along with that, I think that season two Galadriel is going to look much more of like what people think of when they think of Galadriel. Because now she'll have the ring of power. I'm assuming they're going to give it to her. In the books, she doesn't get this ring until later. But I'm assuming for the show's time compression, they're just going to give it to her, especially since she's already involved in the process of it all and i think that next season she probably won't be wearing much armor you know it's going to look more like what people imagine when they think of galadriel because she'll have the ring
wearing now. And that's she gonna, had that beautiful green dress on. Yeah, it's going to significantly strengthen her power that she already has. So, oh, another thing that I wanted to touch on before we move on, move away from this story. Something else I was really happy about this episode. If you guys remember, one of my criticisms from the first two episodes was I really needed to see Galadriel not be rewarded for jumping off the boat to Valinor because the elves are supposed to go to Valinor. It's what the Valar want them to do. You remember there's that call to go west. So the elves who choose to remain in Middle-earth, is it's actually a form of rebellion. And I didn't want her to be rewarded for deciding to take her own path. And the show definitely didn't do that. You know, she has not been rewarded. The show has made it clear that the decision to jump off the boat was wrong. And that was something that I was afraid of because that would totally be against the themes. And instead of accomplishing her task, it's like she actually fell into the hand of the enemy. Yes, exactly. And helped him in a way, uh, you know, move his agenda along. Yeah, she jumped off the boat and onto that raft. And the show began on that raft and ended on that raft. And they made it clear that everything that happened, all the bad things that happened after Galadriel jumped off the boat was a result of her rebellion of jumping off the boat. And there was that foreshadowing too from Yeah, I Gil-Galad. don't remember, was it Gilgalad? Someone told her, basically, it was like early on in the season when someone is so just focused on accomplishing vengeance, or there for her it was vengeance, but she was trying to hunt Sauron and stop this evil and basically the foreshadowing was like you might be so um crazed in trying to stop this evil you end up unleashing the very thing you were trying to stop yeah and that's what happened she ended up playing into sauron's hand without even knowing it yeah so again i like the themes there all right now where are we going next we're going back to the stranger and the harfoots yes so he's explaining to nori that fragments of his memory are coming back and he knows he needs to go to Rune, that he is sure about that. And this is when he says um, the the adventure is shared comment. That's when her. he says sometimes you need to make your feet go where your heart may not. Yes. And that maybe he would love line. to just stay there and not tread into a pl- the unknown, but he knows that that's what he's supposed to do. So yeah. he's going to force his feet to go where his heart doesn't want to go. And and he knows he has to go to Rune because the um, they called him the Istari. And they showed him this star that he keeps seeing in his mind. So yes. he's like, okay, clearly I have to go to wherever this is. This is a part is. of my purpose and why I'm here. He knows that for sure. Yes. And Nori is, you know, acknowledging, you know, they called you an Istari. Yeah, an Istar. They called an you an Istar. They called you, you know, they're discussing... Istari is the plural. Yes. And, you know, she's discussing that with him. And they're talk- she says it sounds like an adventure. And he says, you know, an adventure is shared. Um, you know, a journey is when you go alone or yeah, something like yeah. that. And essentially, he would like her to come with him. So he's not alone. Um, but then she, she says to him, she's like, basically, she asks about the Istar comment. And he says, uh, in your tongue, it means wise one or wizard. So, you know me, I was geeking out a little bit when I heard that. I I was happy to hear that because I love a reminder in dialogue that these aren't actually wizards, right? This isn't Harry Potter, folks. (laughs) These are angelic beings, you know, sent to help 
the free peoples of Middle Earth. It, it's there's more depth to it than it just being somebody who practices magic. Yeah, They're it's just, not just potions. Yes. There's there's a mission behind. Yeah, there's they're not called wizards because they're wizards. They're called wizards because that's what these normal people who are seeing the things that they can do are calling them. There's the in the line that he's talking about with basically the feet making your feet go where your heart doesn't want to go is that basically there's a path set before you and it's your duty to follow it. Yes. And like providence gives you a purpose and it you know, even if you don't feel like you, or you're afraid or something's holding you back from that purpose, you you need to get up and walk that path anyways. You know, that's what the dialogue kind of signified to me as I was listening to it. And Sadok is dead. So, you know, the Harfoots are getting ready to move again. And that one leader, that one woman who's looking at the map turns Marva. to... Yeah, she turns to Poppy and says, you know, well, if you're so wise, why don't you just lead the way so yeah. i think that poppy is now going to be kind of the impromptu she's the new trail finder yeah she's going to be the new leader <laughs> and so she's going to stick with the um harfoots and nori is going to leave with the stranger um and so the first time watching this episode it felt like the goodbye scene was way too long. A thousand years. Very boring. Yes. But my second watch, I actually cried. Yeah, it was adorable. <laughs> because I think I that... I love you. I, I love you too. <laughs> I, I just was relating to Nori. And it was like a coming of age moment where she is leaving home. And... You know, she is having that moment with her mother and her father. You look like you're crying right I'm now. I'm not crying. Stop. <laughs> I just felt like I, okay, so I got emotional because she's talking to her father who's taught her so many things. And she yeah. says to him, I was listening to all of it, father. Mm-hmm. And anyone who has a dad that they love and appreciate, and maybe you don't live near them anymore, but you, you just cherish that relationship with them. So I got emotional when she was talking to her father. And then she turns to her stepmother um, and she says, don't worry, I'll be careful. And her mother her stepmother says to her, you'll be bold. And I, that was just awesome because, you know, so many mothers, like they're only wishing that their daughters, their children will be careful, cautious, protective. But she is putting that instinct aside and saying to her, you're brave. You're, you can accomplish big things. And, and then she, you know, she says goodbye to her family. And so watching it a second time, I actually enjoyed it more because I just, I was able to relate emotionally yeah. um, to this family and, and this daughter leaving home. So no, I, 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 I enjoyed I it, it more. And then also she says goodbye to her best friend who, you know, has felt abandoned by everyone that she loves because um, her family is gone. And she says, why, why do, she says something along the lines of why, why does, does everyone, everyone I, love I have to go? Yeah, yeah. And Nori says, you know, because you won't learn, um, wait, wait, wait oh, shoot, sorry. She, she says without that, you wouldn't learn to grow. Or yeah. What did she say? Yeah. No, no, no. You got it. Yeah. It wasn't, you paraphrased it. Nori but. says that loss brings growth. Essentially. I thought that was an interesting lot of response to saying, well, you wouldn't learn if you didn't have some obstacles thrown yeah, your way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and ultimately, then Nori and the stranger have another... Then they meet back up, and this is where we get the game. And are like, well, where do we actually go? Yeah. And he's like, just always follow your nose. Yeah, he says, he looks into the direction of Rune, and he says, ah, 
We're going in this direction. And then he says, uh, what's her name, Nori Brandyfoot? He goes, when in doubt, Nori Brandyfoot, always follow your nose. And that's the line that we get from Fellowship. When in doubt, Mary Brandybuck, always follow your nose. Uh, and that's in the Minds of Moria in the Peter Jackson films. And so you get that like that relation there. Of Doesn't course, mean it's Gandalf. It could just no, be yeah. another similar relationship yes. between Hobbit slash Harfoot and uh, Wizard. Yes. So the question is, is, you're asking yourself, is this Gandalf? So we know from the show that they have made multiple references that would make someone think this is Gandalf. However, Gandalf says distinctly in the the Lord of the Rings. First, he, he's giving, it's a, it's a portion of the book where Gandalf is talking about his many names among different people groups. I'm known by this name to this group. I'm known by this name to this group. And then he says, but to the east I have, it's, I'm paraphrasing it, but it's to the east I have no name because I don't go there. So Gandalf specifically says in the books that he does not go into the east. So this would be a complete contradiction to the books that we know for a fact Amazon has the rights to. So I don't think that they would have this whole storyline about Gandalf going into the east. I think that this is one of the blue wizards and I still think that they're kind of, they're holding on because they want people to be asking, is this Gandalf? Because it generates news, because that's a character that people know. I think eventually it'll be revealed that it is one of the Blue Wizards. And I love that. That was the story that I wanted the whole time. So I'm holding out for hope there. Yeah, this season it was who is Sauron. <laughs> Next season it's, is this Gandalf yeah. or not? <laughs> is this a Blue Wizard or is it Well, Gandalf? hopefully it won't be that long. But, um, you know, so then we go to the final scene of the episode. And that is the uh, back to forging the right, rings. The forging of the rings. And there is a uh, pouring of the metal. From Galadriel's uh, dagger. Yeah. Yes, and <clears throat> it looks like the eye. Yes, yeah, a not-so-subtle eye of Sauron in the uh, molten uh, metal. And yes. that goes to show that Sauron's influence is still on the situation. Because remember, it's his craft that he taught to Celebrimbor. And his one ring will have control over... For these three rings that the elves are making. And while this is going on, Elrond, who is now suspicious of yeah. what has happened to Galadriel. He's like, hold up. Wait a minute. He goes Something over to right. the water and observes the scene where he found her and he finds the scroll and he looks at it. So we can assume that he has now figured out that Halbrand is not who he said he was. Right. We don't know if he knows that Halbrand is Sauron, but he definitely knows something is up. Yeah, and I doubt he even... I don't even think he has a guess. I think he just knows that something's not right. And he walks back over to where the rings are being crafted. And, you know, he's he's kind of got a disturbed look on his face at first. Yes, but what happens? <laughs> but in the end, um, they all smile, looking yeah. on... At the rings. They're like, those are some handsome looking infinity stones. <laughs> Which, the power is, yeah. it's alluring. Yeah, and I thought I thought that was a good scene. I mean, I, I thought the, the rings looked good. I liked like watching them get crafted, like the twirling, when the one person was twirling the uh, metal strands mm -hmm. around on, on Galadriel's ring that she eventually gets. And then I 
think we get the shot where it zooms in on all three rings on the table and then the circular motion of the camera becomes the like circular iris of Halbrand's eye and then it zooms out of Halbrand's eye and then we see Halbrand and he's wearing his uh, emo punk metal sweatshirt and he is what do you know in Mordor. And we get this cool looking shot of Mordor. It definitely looks like Peter Jackson's depiction of Mordor. I liked that. And then he kind of smirks and descends, makes his descent into the valley. And then the episodes end. And then you you might ask yourself, ladies and gentlemen, if you are a big lore nerd like me, you know that the other rings of power, the ones that were given to dwarves and men, they should be made at this point, but they're not in the show. Or they so, haven't been shown, at least. Right, they haven't been shown. So you're sitting there thinking, you're like, what happened to the other rings? But they tell you. <laughs> <laughs> because the credits, credits start rolling, and then you hear, three rings for the elven kings we didn't forget about the others and like <laughs> it's funny because like it's I, a poem from yeah, the book right yes and they of course, make it yeah. into a it's, song it's the one ring poem yeah. and they yeah and they make that into a song and they do get the words right there's no uh there's no changing of the words they're at like least by the, the way everybody at there's least in other the beginning rings stanza of the song but it was funny because i really i thought that that was like intentionally placed there to be like hey we didn't forget you know about the other rings like <laughs> Watch the second season, please. <laughs> so yeah, and then it ends. And I mean, yeah, that's the, and that's the first season. You know, and now we're left until, uh, I don't know, I guess two years. The next one's going to come out. So, um, so you'll probably have some... Uh... And I plan on putting out more content. Just, uh, I, I, I'd like to do an episode kind of on the season as a whole. All the themes, the successes, the failures. Uh, maybe we could do an episode on predictions for the second season. Uh, but yeah, I plan on doing that soon. But yeah, that... That about wraps it up. We have, we've landed on the end. Uh, I also, I have a Tom Bombadil episode that I'm planning on releasing. I know I've been saying that for a while, but now we've kind of, we've ended now with the episode reviews. So uh, I plan on getting to that soon. And yeah, babe, did you have any final thoughts there that you wanted to give to the people? Nope. Thanks for listening. I hope my opinions didn't upset anyone too much. <laughs> um, I look forward to more episodes not, from Middle Earth I will not allow Mixer. my wife slander on the timeline. <laughs> I will not allow it. And hopefully, eventually, you can have, you know, visuals and everything. Eventually. Yeah. Oh, that's... We're, we're, we'll we're planning on it, folks. We'll cut that out. <laughs> um, oh, sorry that it took so long for you to do this review, but we were at a wedding. Maybe there was a wedding. Just, you could cut me saying that out and just say... I sorry. like having it in there. Say, sorry, it took a while. Well, anyway, folks, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you sticking around for this very special guest, who is my wife, that I love very much. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. <laughs>